This podcast is brought to you by Most Valuable Podcasts, leading the league in podcasting entertainment. What's up, what's up, everybody? Ricky Widmer here, along with the one, the only, Brandon Swanee Swanson. Hey, hey, hey. And we are back. Welcome into the Primetime Podcast here on Most Valuable Podcast. And if you're new to the show, thank you for joining us. Hit that subscribe button, subscribe button down below. We got a jam-packed show, as I'm glad Brandon's here. I was a little worried because... Uh, when I came into the studio today, one of our friends was here at the studio, and she's like, oh, you know what, Brandon wasn't feeling good. And I was like, whoa, wait, Brandon's sick? Brandon didn't tell me he was sick. I was all worried I wasn't going to get you tonight, big guy. No, uh, yeah, I just had a uh, bad uh, stomach bug on Friday. Uh, it passed. Well, I mean, I, I'm glad you're healthy. I'm glad you're here. Me I like, too. It was really bad. I don't know what I would do if I had to do the show solo. Without you. I mean, everyone out there would love it. I, I don't mean, think you'd stop talking. No, I wouldn't, and that's why everyone would not love it'd be it. Like, it'd be like Dance Marathon, but except <laughs> it'd be your mouth dancing. It would just be this yes. nonstop. Yes. But we got a jam-packed show. We're going to be talking college basketball for the beginning of the podcast, and then we're going to swiftly move right into football, talking about the top 16, the early top 16 seeds that the committee, the selection committee came out with in basketball then we're going to look at Alabama and their offensive coordinator position, the still opening after Sark left to go to the NFL. And then we're going to look at the Joe Mixon saga. It's coming back. There was a new interview with the girl from the Joe Mixon case, did an interview with police. So we're going to see how this could affect Joe Mixon's draft stock this year in the NFL draft. But we're going to focus in on college basketball first, Brandon, and the top 16, the early top 16, is out for the selection committee. And if you guys want to see it, I'm going to put a link down below. I'm not just going to list them all off because that would take up too much time. But I'll list the top four. The top four one seeds as we have it right now. At number one, we got Villanova. At number two, we got Kansas. Number three is Baylor. Number four, Gonzaga. I don't know about you. My first takeaway from this was why is Gonzaga at four? That's got to be the question. Why is the only undefeated team still at four? And that makes no mm-hmm. sense to me. Uh, but I think that I think that I, I I guess maybe I can understand what they're trying to say is that uh, some of these teams have better overall wins than Gonzaga. But still, when you're looking at number ones, I, I think that uh, if if nothing else, if nothing else, I think Gonzaga certainly has to be over. Baylor and Kansas. I mean, certainly over Baylor and Kansas. I mean, a Baylor team that has 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 been uh, very up and down in in some of its games. Uh, a Kansas team as well that has looked a little shaky. Villanova, for the most part, has looked pretty solid. Uh, but Gonzaga, I think that the, the case certainly can be made uh, for them. We've made it on on this show mm-hmm. that they should be the number one, number one seed. Well, and to me, it comes down to two things. If you want to make the case for a number one overall seed, you can either, in my mind, there are two choices you can make, either Villanova or Gonzaga, because you can be on my side and say, Gonzaga hasn't lost. They should be the number one overall seed. Basically, until they lose, they are at the top, like they are at the rankings for the third week in a row. Or you could say, you know what? Villanova has also been a very good team. They're not only played a tougher schedule than Gonzaga, but they are also the BPI leader. So I could see a case for if you wanted to say Villanova as the top seed over Gonzaga. Then the second point is if you don't want to put Gonzaga at number two, the only reason I'd put them at number three is if you want to put Baylor ahead of them because Baylor is the RPI leader. So if you want to put Gonzaga three, I would disagree with you, but I wouldn't sit there and call you stupid because you kind of have the BPI and the RPI leaders ahead of them. But to me, Kansas is the odd dog out because I'm looking at the RPI rank right now. Villanova's at the top at number one. Gonzaga's at four. Kansas is at 10. And Baylor's at 14. And I know BPI isn't the see-all, be-all, but I look at the BPI and I go, just the gap from four to 10 and then 14, how are those two teams ahead of Gonzaga? 
And see, I think that's that's also the thing is that when you take when you when you take BPI into effect, then too, it's it it's going to show you some things. It's going to kind of show you the the gaps. It's going to show you the gaps in between there. And I, and I think that uh, definitely. It it certainly is not the uh, be all end all mm-hmm. for sure, but that's why there's so many different factors. But I still I'm still very I, I just am still very confused why Gonzaga is not your number one number one. You're 26 and 0. People and Ricky, am, am I being wrong when I would ask the question? People do not want to respect Gonzaga. Well, I think the reason they don't want to respect Gonzaga is we've seen this in football. In football, it has been a while since we've seen... Well, not really. We've seen it this year, too. This year, it was Western Michigan. Back in the day, it was Boise State. When we're talking BCS, it was those Boise State teams with Chris Peterson. And we're talking about, oh, they should get a shot to play for the BCS title. Nobody wanted to give them their due because of their strength of schedule, because of the teams that they are playing. And right now, I'm going through the strength of schedule, and where they ranked, I will give you one hint, and then I want you to guess where Gonzaga is ranked. They are in the top 100. That's your hint. Where do you think they are? For strength of schedule? For strength of schedule this year. Gonzaga is in the top 100, and it's not good. Um, I'm going to say they're at... The... 70. 92. A 92. Where, where is Kansas and Baylor? Kansas is at 10. Baylor's at 14. And to me, what this shows, what this shows is, okay, when we get to Selection Sunday, like if I'm a team that's outside of, outside of this top 16 and my life is on the bubble right now, I am sitting there going, what's our strength of schedule? Do we have a shot? Because, yeah, you can win your conference tournament and get the automatic bid into the big dance, but it seems like to me this year, based off of these, and I could be wrong, but if I'm right now and I'm going to look at the first four out in Joe Lenardi's bracket, if I'm Tennessee, if I'm Indiana, I'm Georgia Tech, I'm Wake Forest, I'm looking around going, what's our strength of schedule? What is it? Because if we're on the outside looking in and it ain't good, we ain't going to get into the big dance. But what what I really want to what what I really want to try and touch on here for Gonzaga is the fact that yes, their strength of schedule may not be great, but undefeated, they've won all their games. They've won all their games. I mean, I, I don't know how you can right now at this point. They've they've beaten the teams they've needed to beat. They've they've beat the games. They've beat the teams in the games that you mm-hmm. knew they were going to win. So they haven't you know been upset. They haven't lost a game. It's simple as that. Sixty first place and, votes and, in the AP poll. Yes, and I just think that again, and and I understand it's you know it's the first one that they're coming out with. So of course it's you know it's 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 like one you know if you're doing a mock draft. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that how do you not have Gonzaga as number one in that? I just I just don't understand how you don't have them as number one because they have not lost a game. The minute they lose a game, then it's okay. Then it Drop them. Drop them. Do what you need but, to do. But they haven't lost. And that's the thing. And I don't want to harp on Gonzaga the whole time. I might. Let, I might want to. Let, I'm just kidding. Let, let's be honest, though. I mean, let's look at their last four games. San Francisco, Pacific, San Diego, and BYU. Are they going to lose a game? Probably not. They're probably going to go into the conference tournament undefeated. Will they go into the big dance undefeated? I don't know. They they could play St. Mary's again, and St. Mary's third time is the charm. That is what they say. But and I don't know who they are. They just say it is. But with the last four, I don't see any of these teams upsetting Gonzaga. I mean, of course, you're sitting there at home going, "Well, Ricky, that's the point of an upset. You do not see it coming." But I don't see it. Like I don't see any of these teams having a formidable attack against Baylor into these last four games. I think they're picking up steam at the right moment. And to me, if I were going to put them at a seed, I'd put them at the number one overall seed in the tournament. That's just how I would be. That's where I would put them, at the number one overall seed in the March Madness. But the one thing I do want to kind of branch out to is anything in this top 16 now. 
anything that you want to look at? What team on here do you think should be in here? What team do you look at and go, I don't know why they're there? I'll tell you two teams that should be in there. Okay. I think Purdue should be in there. Mm-hmm. I think that Wisconsin should be in there. Wisconsin, just a tough loss last night. I was a bring, big bring upset. That up. Northwestern knocks them off. They And Wisconsin, number seven at the time. But still, Wisconsin should be in there. I think that I think one, both of those teams mm-hmm. should be in there over Butler. Both of those teams, Purdue and Wisconsin, Butler's both of high. them should be over Butler. Butler right now in the AP Top 25 in, down in the 20s. Down mm-hmm. in the 20s. They're at 24 right now. Of what I'm looking at on ESPN right now, they're at 24. And you have Wisconsin 11, Purdue at 16. And both of them are out. Neither one of them are in. And Butler is. I, I just, I, I, I understand how someone could make the case for Florida State. Florida State edges out mm-hmm. Purdue. I could see that. They have one more win, same amount of losses, one more win than Purdue does. But neither of those teams could get in, and Butler did. I don't see it. I'm going to go back to something. And you know what I'm going to go back to? It's all about, and this is to me with this whole committee, it's not just Gonzaga, it's this whole ranking system. It's the committee is going to look at strength of schedule this year. Butler has the six toughest strength of schedule, and the other two teams that you mentioned in Wisconsin and Purdue, Wisconsin's not in the top twenty-five. Purdue's not in the top twenty-five in strength of schedule. So, to me, I'm looking at that and I'm going, okay, okay. Again, like I said, if I'm on the bubble, what's our strength of schedule? Because that's either going to pop our bubble or make that bubble fortified and make it a cement bubble. I don't think that would be a bubble then. That'd be kind of a spear because a bubble can get popped. But that's what, to me, what it looks at. And I, I'm kind of, I'm, what's the word I'm looking for? I find it funny that you brought up Wisconsin because one of the things that Joe Lenardi put in his um, article that he had about this top 16, the two teams that he said he would pull out are Butler and Duke at 13 and 16, and one of the teams that he would put in is Wisconsin. That was one of the teams that he would put in, but... Uh, but I'll tell you what, too, is I, I think that I think that when you in after you look at both of the teams that I mm-hmm. mentioned, Purdue and Wisconsin, I think actually if you're going by schedule, Purdue has the better argument well, than Wisconsin does if you're going to go by their schedule. And it goes into that. I'm going to bring up, and I'm glad that you mentioned that because it brings up this question. Is the big thing hurting Purdue and Wisconsin the fact that they play in the Big Ten, and the Big Ten isn't as strong this year. That's the biggest thing. The Big Ten is not as strong, and the Big East seems to be coming alive. Because mm-hmm. I know one of the articles, if you looked on the ESPN front page, the title just said it was like, committee's message to the Big Ten, get in shape, basically. And that's what it was. Like, that's it. It's like, you have to, if you're in the Big Ten, it ain't going to be easy to, it's not going to be like, oh, you're in the Big Ten, you're, you're going to be a one seed, you're going to earn it. And it was actually um, behind the bracket what happened to the Big Ten was one of them. And then the other one, I'm trying to find it really quickly, was, yeah, committee to Big Ten, get to work, and other early revealing takeaways, that what they were talking about with the top 16. And to me it comes down to with the Big Ten, it's this year it's kind of like who's your best team in that kind of like Michigan State hasn't been what they usually are. Usually Ohio State is a stronger team than they are this year. Michigan's a stronger team. Maryland, I mean, we kind of heard a little bit from them, especially when they had that, what, strain of three close games and um, SVP on his Sports Center talked about them, but really they haven't been what they were maybe last year or two years ago. And it's kind of been the big conference to me that has been like the Big Ten of last year is the Pac-12. And one team that I think I'm I'm surprised they're not in it in one way. Or actually, no, scratch that. They are in it. They're at 15. Or, yeah, 15. They're low is UCLA. I thought they'd be a little higher, especially after beating Oregon. I know it was a freaking Steph Curry-like shot from Lonzo Ball after his brother scores 92 in a high school game, which, let's be honest, I mean, 
he was cherry picking, so it's not that big of a milestone. I know I could never do it, but he was cherry picking. But UCLA, I think they should be higher than than fifteen. They're a team that like you've got them, you've got Arizona who's at nine, you've got Oregon who's eight here. The Pac twelve is be either has become or is becoming what we've mentioned with the Big Ten last year and maybe the years before. Arizona is the best team right now in the Pac-12 based on record. But they're behind Oregon. They're behind Oregon, (laughs) and their record is better than the record of Louisville, Mm -hmm. Florida State, and North Carolina. And it's the same as that of, I believe it's the same as that of Baylor and Kansas with three losses. And actually, I think one more win. I think they're twenty three and three. Kansas, I believe, is twenty two and three, and then Villanova only has two losses. Gonzaga, of course, is undefeated. And the one thing I'm looking at here, just for shits and giggles, at this point, if we're looking strength of schedule, um, Oklahoma's at one, Clemson's at two, Virginia's actually at three. So the tenth team in this ranking is at number ten. Louisville's at five, Butler's at six. I'm trying to look. Kansas is at ten, Baylor's at fourteen, and then to round out maybe the top twenty, North Carolina at seventeen, and Florida at twenty. Villanova's right there at twenty-one. So I mean, this is something to. This is going to be interesting. As and I'm glad they did this. I'm glad they gave us a glimpse into it because if we even look further into it, I know we've been. Um, looking at the overall seeds, but basically, and March Madness at March Madness tweeted this out Sunday morning, more like almost Sunday afternoon because it was 10 minutes before noon, is they're like, oh, the full bracket preview, and they gave you each of the 16 teams in their respective brackets, where they would be based on where they are, and if all the top seeds, one through four, go to the Sweet 16, if the March Mad, if the Sweet 16 started today with these teams, this is what we would get: Villanova, UCLA, Kentucky, Louisville. That would be one region. The next one that would play them is Gonzaga, West Virginia, Virginia, Oregon, Kansas, Duke, Arizona, Florida State, Baylor, Butler, and then Florida, North Carolina. There are some good matchups there, but the thing with this is. All of these 16 teams aren't going to make the Sweet 16. There's going to be one double-digit team, double-digit seeded team that makes a run and gets to the Sweet 16. There's going to be a 9 seed or an 8 seed that makes a run and gets to the Sweet 16, unless you think all four seeds are coming in. I don't because Kansas and Baylor look weak. Well, weaker than Gonzaga and Villanova. Uh, Ricky, you you can almost count on four to six of these teams to get upset not being there. And, that, and that, that actually might sound a little high, but four to six of these teams will not be here Duke, when it's Sweet 16. Duke, UCLA, Duke, West Virginia, UCLA, and either Baylor or Kansas. Those are the four that I would say. If out, of these, out of these 16, if you said, give me four that wouldn't make the Sweet 16, without even knowing who would be in their way, Duke, I mean, besides them winning it all, they're usually, to me, in the last few years, it kind of seems like they're a team that has some struggles early, especially, and this this Duke team, this Duke team ain't making the Sweet 16. Then, I mean, Baylor, Kansas, I just, one of those, one of those teams is going to get upset by a strong eight, a strong nine kind of a team. Who knows? We could have our first uh, 16th seed get a win over a one. God, I would love that. Come on, Florida Gulf Coast be good again. And then, I mean, I just look, West Virginia, another team that if they're on their game, they could run the table. But if not, they're not making it to the Sweet 16. And then the fourth team I threw out there, what was UCLA? Was that who I threw out there? I threw someone out there. You guys know who I – basically, I think it was UCLA, only because it's going to be it's going to be really reliant on Lonzo Ball, I think. Well, let me let me throw let me throw a couple out there throw then. So out. so the four that I would have, and again, it could be more, it might be less, but mm-hmm. I'm most but likely we're saying at least more. the four. I'm just gonna say at least the four. I'd say Baylor for sure. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't think they're strong. Baylor over Kansas? 
is the because that's the thing with me. Uh, I said uh, Kansas uh, or Baylor of the one to get. I would say Baylor. Okay, I would say Baylor over over Kansas. Um, I, I don't would even say, think Kansas is going to win the Big Twelve this year, like co- conference tourney. I would say West Virginia mm-hmm. as well. I, I just I just can't trust them. I just cannot trust them to get to this point. Uh, my my third one would be uh, Florida State. I I don't know if they. I just don't feel like they've done it enough. Dwayne Bacon's kind of fallen off too. He hasn't been as hot as he was at the beginning of conference play. And my fourth one. You want to know who my fourth one is? Ooh, I get to guess. Is it Butler? It's not Butler. Is it? It's not Kentucky. Not Virginia. Arizona. Florida. Well, I'll tell you. Yeah. Tell <laughs> Before me. you guess all of them. North Carolina. Ah, I was. That was the next. One I'm going to say that. I'm going to say that North Carolina is upset this year. But that's your team. That's why they're going to be an upset. <laughs> you're wearing. Because you're last wearing year, Blue last today. year, I was root. I, I, I was rooting for <laughs> Michigan State. Michigan State, all the way, all the way. Michigan State. I just picked them. I felt good about them. Picking them. Lost I, to the 15th seed. I I, 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 wanted Michigan State to go. North Carolina was my second choice last year because I just I just felt good about Mich- where Michigan State was. Terrible, terrible, terrible. So this year I'm terrible, terrible. <laughs> so terrible. this year I am I'm sticking with the Tar Heels and they'll lose. You'll stick with the Tar Heels and they'll lose. And they'll get you've, upset. You've got your Tar Heel like that is the perfect Tar Heel shirt on today. Yeah. The powder blue, the white stripe, and you're saying they're gonna get upset. Well, I'm just saying that they could. I'm saying that those those were four teams. If I look at this right now, the four teams that I went out on a limb mm-hmm. on North Carolina. I'm hoping that they do not. <laughs> I'm hoping that they're at the championship game winning it this year. But they're the team that that uh, that would be kind of like a, whoa, big time upset alert on them. I mean, now that you said it, I'm trying to think back of who I had in the final. I know I had Oklahoma because I was riding Buddy Heel. I think I had, I think I had Oklahoma in the championship going up against... Wasn't Kansas? I had him going up against somebody. I didn't think Villanova was going to get there. Um, yeah, I think I had Villanova losing to Oklahoma in the Final Four, and then actually scratch that. I know I had Oklahoma. I was high on Oklahoma. Actually, That's all I know. don't know well, what I, I don't what wanna, I did. I don't want to say something from last year and be wrong because I know Oklahoma and Villanova. The one thing I do know for sure, and you guys have probably heard this before, but I'll say it again. The year UConn and Butler played in the championship game, basically how it went was I picked Butler to win it all. I had Butler-UConn in my championship game, Butler to win it all. This other guy had UConn and Butler, UConn winning it all. When all the math was circulated and calculated out, it came down to one thing. Me and him were tied. Whoever won that championship game was bringing home the money. And who lost? Ricky. You did, of course. Because I picked Butler that year because Shabazz Napier, and I believe that was the Shabazz Napier year. It might have been the Kemba Walker year. Whatever. Basically, I got fooled when UConn went on another one of their two runs. You played the fool. Before before we move on, is there anything with this top 16 that you feel like, I have it on my chest, but I haven't gotten it off it yet? No, I think I got everything off my chest, but I really I really don't want uh, Tar Heel fans to actually think that, uh, that I want, I, them, I want to them to to uh, get upset. That's certainly not the case, but I'm Who just saying that, that, that uh, and I did not say Duke. I did not say Duke, <laughs> I, 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 only because this is why. That's who I said. It was Duke, not UCLA. Thank you, Brandon. You Duke had said my... UCLA at one yeah, point, though. Yeah, but I said UCLA, then I backscratched it. Duke was my final team. Because... Who's back? Did you scratch it? I, I said, you said I you scr- backscratched yeah, it. Yeah, I, I backscratched it. I scratched it off the list. <laughs> scratch on its back. It was but, a healthy but, scratch. But, but, but here's here's what I'm saying is that I, I, I said North Carolina because as much as I want to say Duke, mm-hmm. Duke right now, they beat North Carolina the other night, pissed about it, but I, I think that... Duke is the team. When we, when I, when I was over there on mm-hmm. that side, I was, I was hosting yep. a couple of the weeks Baylor ago, podcast. and I said Duke is right in the spot that they want to be in because everyone's gonna kind of mm, Duke. They're 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 down for the Look count. Past them. Yep. And then they're gonna just <laughs> blow past everybody, and that's what they do. You think that's Gra- what they want? You think Grayson Allen's got another? Uh, what was that freshman year? Freshman year when he uh, went off in the championship game. All I'm gonna say is that for Duke, how many trips does he for, have for, for a final thing for a final thought mm-hmm. is that 
what Grayson Allen needs to do just needs to step the game up. Stop tripping people. And no, get, come on. <laughs> step the game up. Focus, focus, focus. Mm-hmm. Coach K's back. And he's 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 good to go. And he wants his guys uh, playing as hard as they possibly can. Duke's in a good spot. And don't forget, you can't wear that Duke apparel. Coach K don't want that anywhere near the locker room. You can't wear that Duke apparel. But this is where you guys come in and let us know down below or on Twitter what you guys think right there in the comment section. And, Brandon, we're going to move on into our next topic. But you know what? This is your favorite team we're going to talk about. I always open these topics. I always do it. People get tired of me always throwing the questions to you. I want you to do it. Set set us up for topic number two on the show. Well, Ricky, thanks so much. So topic number two on the show, we are talking about the open vacancy of the offensive coordinator position at Alabama. And people are probably going, what are you you talking about? What are you talking about? Steve Sarkeesian's there, right? (laughs) Steve Sarkeesian is there wrong because Steve Sarkeesian is now the offensive coordinator over with the Atlanta Falcons. He wants to win a Super Bowl. And... And that news broke on Tuesday, the Tuesday after the Super Bowl. Atlanta Falcons players didn't even know until early Tuesday morning <laughs> that he was going to be their new offensive coordinator. Mm-hmm. Alabama players didn't even know until Tuesday morning that he was no longer going to be their offensive coordinator. This was a very weird situation. I think this this was a completely weird uh, weird situation because Sarkeesian became the offensive coordinator for Alabama December 16th mm-hmm. of 2016 after he was hired on as an analyst in September. He was always being hired on to be the offensive coordinator. I believe, as many other people do, that he was always going to be the offensive coordinator when Lane Kiffin left at the end of the season. How that all went down, very, very weird. All of it. But it's in the past. But the interesting thing now is Kiffin's gone. Sarkeesian's gone. Who do you go to? And the Alabama Crimson Tide are left with an open position at the offensive coordinator position. And, of course, this is college. Mm -hmm. It's offense. And he's still out there and available. Who is the guy that is heading up in a lot of people's minds? Maybe not the right people's minds, but a lot of people's minds. Who's the guy that is heading up that list of candidates? None other than the Chip Kelly. I was going to say, uh, I was going to guess it and say, well, if I went to a casino, I'd be I'd be playing with these, right? It's what I'd use for currency, right? Chips, little, little Chip Kelly. But yeah, to me, it's one of those things where, yeah, a lot of people are going to throw that out. That's the sexy, like, ooh, ah, Chip Kelly. Offensive coordinator, ooh, he's got a relationship with Saban already. Would it be bad? No. Would it be the smart thing? No. Nah, wait and see how it goes. But to me, I feel like there are two choices I'd put ahead that. For the first one, like, the most logical choice is Mike Loxley, the guy who's already there. He was a co-offensive coordinator. Wouldn't it be the smart thing to say, hey, we said next man up when Lane left. Next man up now. So Loxley's the guy you don't have to change your offense too much because if Chip comes in, you're going to be ch- – I, nah, I want to say you'll be changing some things in your offense, but I think Saban's the guy to say, nope, this is it. You follow my rules. But I'd say Loxley could be interesting because he was part of that Illinois Rose Bowl run way back mm-hmm. when, and I know you remember that. Yeah, there was juice. That was when we had juice. Yeah. Uh, I, and we I, were – we I were drinking we could, the juice back then, weren't I we? I wish. Yeah, little juice boxes. That's mm-hmm. how yeah. uh, young yeah. we were. Absolutely. I, <laughs> glory days is what uh, is what that was. But, I mean, yeah, that's why to me that seems like the logical choice. But there's still another name I would put over Chip Kelly. And it's funny because he's also a former Oregon coach. I'd, I'd take Mark Helfrich. He's one of the guys where it's one of those things where he's – if I'm looking for a guy who's explosively like Chip Kelly's explosive offense, that's what we've been thinking in college. Like the Chip Kelly offense, it's revolutionary. Mark Helfrich can do you a good job as an offensive coordinator. I think Mark Helfrich, look at that, he did a great job as an offensive coordinator with Chip Kelly. Why can't he do the same with Nick Saban? It would basically be Saban saying, hey, let me get you recruits. You're going to get better recruits than you had at Oregon. And all you got to do is run my off or run the offense. Basically, call the plays. The offense is on you. I'll worry about the rest of the team. 
That's that's what I would think because with Chip Kelly, I think it's one of those things where in the NFL, I think he could go to an offensive coordinator because I think he can go, okay, although as a head coach, they haven't gone that well, I can put my ego aside. In college, I don't know if Chip Kelly can put his ego aside. And I wonder if Chip Kelly came on as the offensive coordinator at Alabama, would we get a little bit of this going on between Kelly and Saban? Because Chip Kelly not only was a head coach in college, he was he was rather successful. I mean, the only thing he didn't do was win a national title. And that's probably the only thing Nick Saban has to hang over Kelly's head. Kelly had one of the best offenses he had a nationally ranked team. He had a great team when he left. One of the best records. One of the best records. One of the best just offenses and teams overall. Like the Pac-12, they just ran ship in that. Like they ran all over teams in the Pac-12. So I feel like there might be a little bit of ego if Chip Kelly were to be brought on as the offensive coordinator at Alabama. So for this next name, there would be a lot of ego mm-hmm. that would be going like this. Okay. And this name has not been thrown out to my knowledge. Are you gonna Are you gonna shock me here? Are you gonna shock me? I, I, I might. Okay. I, I, I might. I might shock myself when I say it. Okay. How about this one? Less miles. I could see it. I could see it more than Chip Kelly. The reason why I could see that is not the fact on less miles part. I could see it more on Nick Saban's part. Basically, to say. If he can give us any kind of an edge in that LSU game, great like great offensive mind can give us an edge in that LSU game. Knows how Ed Orgeron thinks a little bit better than I do, especially if he can work magic against that LSU defense. I'd take a role on that before Chip Kelly. I wouldn't even say just for LSU. I'd say for the entire, entire conference, mm-hmm. the entire conference. I mean, I mean, if if you have, it's like a one-two punch mm-hmm. with with Saban and Les Miles. If Miles was the offensive coordinator there, and what it, what could possibly be good for him, then he doesn't have to worry about an entire team. He's worried about one specific section. He could be the even, offense. He could be even more of a mad hatter. Talk about it. Talk about that, and that could be something because you could literally mm-hmm. control the conference. You would be king. Of the SEC. Well, yeah, you'd have basically two of the really, and the one thing it's interesting. But I don't know. I, one, I don't know if they'd be able to pay him the money because I don't think they'd be able to pay money. him. He, he would want, want money. Us. He'd probably want head coach money, mm-hmm. and they're already paying Saban a pretty penny. So, and I, another thing, with, I don't know. Another thing with Les Miles that would be interesting is: Do you think that Les Miles would be like, no, I don't want to take the job. Thanks for the offer, but I don't want it. Because he'll be sitting there going, I'll do this analyst thing. And once a job opens up midseason, boom, jump up. Like if the right job, like if a Notre Dame opened up, boom, he's all over it. See, I, I don't I don't know. I only say Notre Dame because Brian Kelly is kind of on a hot seat. But I'll tell you what, though, is I think that Alabama is smart enough to know, hey, you know, we want to have you for the season. At mm-hmm. least the season. And then if something, you know, if something does pop up, yes, then you're free to go and do that. I mean, I don't know if they'd be able to put some type of clause together mm-hmm. where it's like you have to be with us, under contract with us for a full season before you go and look for another job. And or, that, or kind and, of like but, a but, but how about this? How about this? Mm-hmm. How about this? That's a, it could be a perfect stepping stone. It could be a perfect stepping stone for Les Miles, a great bridge from his old job of the head coach of LSU to the offensive coordinator in Alabama to what's his next head coaching job? The NFL. Is that what? Is that my N- right? N- NFL right? Or, or college? Okay. Or college because a lot of those head coaching jobs, they're scooped up, they're locked in, mm-hmm. they're not there right now. Do you think there will be plenty more head coaching jobs open at the end of next season? There always are. Well, and the one thing that I find interesting, and I'm going to kind of, I know this is leading us off the beaten path a little bit, but. With less miles, the thing that would be interesting, and this would determine his job. Like, if one of these jobs that I'm going to mention opens up after the season, he'd be all over it. However, if there's any chance of 
a like I don't think Les Miles would want to do a Lane Kiffin situation because let's be honest, Alabama is playing until New Year's Day at the least or New Year's Eve at the least. They're making the playoff. Let's be honest. They win the SEC. If they do that, they're in the playoffs. And I'll say that for anybody that wins the SEC. If LSU wins the SEC, they're going to be in the playoffs. That's just how football works. (laughs) You win that conference, it's like, here's your red carpet now into the college football playoff. No other conference has that, even though I wish the Big Ten did. And they kind of do, but it's basically only if it's— Not this past year. If it's only Ohio State and Michigan would be my only ones that they might walk that right in. But the thing that I would be curious about is there's an article on ESPN. This one's written by Edward um, Ashoff, and he names six SEC coaches that are facing the most pressure in the sp- coming into the spring— And here are the jobs. These could potentially open. Tennessee, so Butch Jones. Then you got Bielema, so that means Arkansas. Number three is Hugh Freeze at Old Miss. Number four is Kevin Sumlin at Texas A&M. And number five is Gus Malzahn. He even throws six in with uh, Jim McElwain in there at number six. To me, I think McElwain's fine in Florida. I think his is the lowest of the pressure I think Gus Malzahn isn't as hot anymore. And plus Arizona, they're getting Jared Stidham this year. They're going to be pretty good. They're probably going to make a run in the SEC. I don't know if they'll win it, but they're going to be a sleeper this year. To me, I look at three. I look at Kevin Sumlin. I look at Butch Jones. I look at Brett Bielema, Arkansas, Texas A&M, Tennessee. If one of those three opened up, would Les Miles jump all over that? And if you're Alabama... If that happens in the season, you could have a Lane Kiffin all over again. If that happens, do you think that, okay, so no no assistant who's mm-hmm. ever been under, who's ever been under um, Nick Saban. Nick Saban, thank you, has ever beat him? No one. No one. <laughs> do, does Les Miles they're all, they're become all, the They're 0-10. Do you think that he would be more nervous with Les Miles knowing the rivalry that they've always had with each other, mm-hmm. that if you ever brought him on, you'd be afraid to let him go because you'd be afraid that he would be the one to be able to crack the code, so to speak, and beat him at his own game when they would come back and uh, play them. If, in fact, he went to one of those other SEC teams, that uh, SEC uh, had coaching jobs, rather, that became available in theory, do you think that that's one reason why they may just stay away from Les Miles altogether? I don't think so. Because the reason why is I don't think Nick Saban worries about that. I think Nick, Nick Saban's a guy worries about football. What's going to help my team win? Yeah. I just don't think Nick Saban would worry about the after effect of it. Plus, I feel like Nick Saban's the guy of, yeah, bring him on. And if he leaves, I'll beat him. Yeah, oh, that totally. It, it's one of those things where, screw it, I, I will beat him. You getting, getting a hot text message My, from Brandon? Uh, just from Dave. <laughs> just just from Dave. But that's what I think. It'd be one of those things where, fuck it, let him come in, let him leave, I'll beat him there too. What's he going to do? What what talent is he going to have at Arkansas, Tennessee, and uh, Texas A&M that's going to beat the juggernaut in Alabama? No, and I, and, I, and I think and you're I'm right. Not, and I'm not saying Nick Saban has a big head. No, but, but he's good. He knows he's good, and he knows his he program's knows his good. good. And I think that's good, and he knows his team well. He's got and he, confidence. But, but that's the thing, is that I think that that's why I wanted to throw it out there mm-hmm. to you, just see what you think, because I, I <laughs> the record has been awful against him. 0-10 mm-hmm. of guys who have coached with him or for him under him that have gone to try on and beat him later on they can't do it i don't think that he would start getting scared now and i'm looking at an sb nation article and this one was written november 5th of 2016 and it just says right here and this is all of home games especially when he plays at home nick saban is 113 and 18 at the time this was over 10 seasons at alabama at that time in Tuscaloosa. Doesn't lose at home much. And it says here, but uh, Miles went 3-7 and seven against Saban. Last season's 30, so this would be 2015. 30-16 defeat marked the fifth straight loss for LSU against Alabama. Um, dating back to the rematch loss to um, them in the BCS title game in 2002. 
and that was the year for those of you who have forgotten. LSU beat them in the season. It was 1-2. They met in the national title, and then Alabama. Was that the Trent Richardson? Was that Trent Richardson running up the sideline? The big run Was he the big running back for Alabama at that time? Don't know. They all seem to, to they, blend together Lacey, because it's either Ingram. Lacey or Ingram or Richardson. I mean, they're all big bruisers, and they all had long hair, too. Mm-hmm. All they, of them. They all did. I mean— it's one of those things. I, I want to say it was Trent Richardson. I'm going to look it up, but I think it was Trent Richardson. I was just going to say, Ricky, any final thoughts? We'll, we're going to get moving on to the next segment, but any final thoughts on Alabama's offensive coordinator search, which many look at, at Chip Kelly as being the, the, the biggest chip on mm-hmm. the board. That was an awful pun. Uh, but uh, being the kind of the biggest name out there, but I – went out of my way, of course, to bring up Les Miles. And, and just think, just think of what could possibly be there if that's something that Alabama or Les Miles would ever want to do. Do you have any final thoughts on this topic? Uh, with me, it would be one of those things where I think that either you go with Loxley or you go with Mark Halfridge. I think you stay away from Chip Kelly. The reason why I'm not throwing Les Miles in there is because that was kind of a speculation thing that we kind of mentioned. If he's a candidate that you're seriously it's looking into. It's all speculation. Yeah, it is. But if he's a candidate you're you're seriously looking into, go ahead and go after Les Miles. But at, right now at this point in time, Loxley makes the most po- like the most um, sense because he would be just next man up. But I think Mark Helfrich could do some good things. And the one thing I want to correct myself, I said 2002 – I was wrong. It was 2012. I added a zero when it was a one, and it was Trent Richardson because he went fourth, third overall in the NFL draft that year. And I'll say, theoretically, I would love to see Les Miles there because I think that would make Alabama absolutely unbeatable. But the logical pick that I would have, Mike Loxley, I think he'd be very good, very good Next fit. Man up. I think anyone that, that Nick Saban would put in there, though, would be very good. It's Nick Saban. Great football mind. And this is where you guys come in. Let us know down below what you guys think. Who would you hire if you were Nick Saban? Who would you go after? Let us know in the comment section down below. And, Brandon, we are now going to move into our final topic. And and I'm glad that last week we mentioned how, you know, Joe Mixon not invited to the NFL Combine. I said we were kind of pushing it off to the side. I'm glad we waited a week and didn't talk about that last week because today— as I was kind of throwing together, I'm like, okay, I'm going to throw, throw together topics, see what Brandon thinks. Usually if you don't like one, you throw me back with one that you do like, and we formulate what the show's going to be. But as I was looking for topics, I saw a Fox Sports article that said that Norman Police released their video of their interview with the victim in the Joe Mixon case, which was Amelia Molitor, right? Did I say that right? I hope I said it right. Amelia Molitor. And really, it was very interesting. I'm going to leave that article in the description if you want to go and watch the video. It's graphic, so I'm going to give you the same warnings Fox Sports gives you in the article. But it's about a 58-minute video of the full interview with her and the detective. It was her, her two legal counsel, and her mother in there for the interview. And to me... It was interesting because overall, Brandon, after watching this interview, I think that this isn't going to help Joe Mixon, especially compounding that he's not going to be at the combine. I I think that, uh, you know, number one, Ricky, yeah, I agree. I think that the number one thing was when he was one of two guys who were not uh, invited Mm -hmm. to the to the combine that that was telling that was telling when you are not invited to the combine do not come that's that's kind of big for for what what isn't always necessarily huge because what you do with the combine necessarily doesn't make or break necessarily but it's certainly nice to be there and be able to participate in in some of the different things and be able to do as much as you can to be able to showcase yourself because that's ultimately what it is it's, it's a showcase um, but when you're not invited, that's huge. Uh, mm-hmm. But I think I think the number two thing is is also the fact that now we're now we're getting to a point where it's it's one of those things where Miss Molitor she 
she is a little hazy from that night. She she cannot completely remember everything. A little hazy, a little scattered. You and I both listened to. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will. I'll be honest. I did not listen to the whole thing. I have not listened to the whole thing yet. I have listened to bits and pieces of what she has talked about. And I, 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 I fil- listened. I filled you in on the important parts. Yes, too. and I and I listened to the piece uh, that that she's talking about when they when mm-hmm. the guys first came up to her. It was a group. It was not just Joe. Uh, it was. It was a group of guys. It was a group of guys that came up. And a number of the guys were talking, and and what I would say is we've already talked about Joe Mixon, we've Mm -hmm. already talked about this situation, but if nothing else, there certainly would be a case to make that Joe Mixon may not hang out with the best group of guys, and he may need to find better characters to Mm -hmm. hang out with, and I I think that that would be uh, probably the, the... the best way to be able to to say that because you know what sometimes and, and I'm not trying I'm not trying to to necessarily defend the guy because mm-hmm. if he did something wrong he did something wrong okay mm-hmm. but I I think that sometimes got decent guys hang out with bad guys and I think getting get it's, get, it's, up in the, it's in getting the bad crowd. and it's getting away from them with, that helps them it's not to say well, that oh you did one you did some horrible thing can't be saved but you know what I mean. You know what I mean? And, and again, it's it's not to completely defend him because I would come on here and say, if you treat a girl like that, if you treat another human being like that, that is wrong. You do not do that. But I think that he's got an opportunity now to distance himself from these people, from these guys, and try and do everything he can to show that he's a good guy. Some community service would help. And the one thing I'm going to do is... For I said that the link was down down below, but in case you're one of those people where it's too long, didn't watch, here's the too long, didn't watch version. Basically, from the story that Molitor gives is she's in the um, the restaurant with her friends. There's two friends with her. They walk outside. She sees two guys that she had a class with the semester before, hadn't seen them in a while. She said she went down to talk to him. Then one of her friends who she said has Crohn's disease, like, I gotta go to the bathroom. She goes to the bathroom, and they're waiting outside, and that's when Joe Mixon and his buddies come out, and it was one of those things where it was, like, the typical stereotype that you get for Jack guys, where the way that she described it was they were making jokes like, oh, dude, it's my buddy's birthday. It's my buddy, like, cat calling her, oh, it's my buddy's birthday. You're gonna help him out? You're going to help him out, basically saying all these, like, sex acts. Oh, you're going to do this. You're going to do that. And she was getting agitated by it. And the one thing that in her in her kind of explanation that didn't sit well with me is when she says one of Joe's friends, so one of the guys Joe's was, Joe was with, this wasn't Mixon himself, said something like, oh, how about you hit Joe and I'll hit your gay friend here. And they were obviously attacking the the um, the friend that she was with. Where and I'm gonna I'm telling you right now, there's gonna be an expletive here. But in that, she said it was said to her like, "Oh, what? You're not gonna not gonna help me out, but you're gonna go home with this fag." And that like, if that whole thing is what really happened, and I hope it is what happened, because obviously you don't want you'd never want somebody to lie. But it's I hear that and I go, so you guys were just being assholes? You were being assholes to her and then everything else happened? And then she says, oh, she went in and the last thing she remembers is um, saying something to the group she knew in the restaurant. And she turns, remembers a flash of Joe, and then bam. She said it felt like she got hit by a train. And then the next thing she remembers is waking up and everything that happened afterwards. And for me... The thing that I would look into, well, not look into, but this would be me. Because I I immediately, when I see things like this, when I was watching it, I thought two things. First, I tried really hard to read the body language, really not miss anything that she was saying. Because my first thought is, I want to be able to tell if you're telling the truth or not. Because... Sadly, that is something that we have to worry about. If someone is lying, exaggerating the truth, from me watching it, it did not seem like she was exaggerating the story. And her legal, she had two of her legal counsels there. 
At the very beginning, they mentioned, you know what, the stuff that she's like, it's really bothering her. She's written it down on this notebook to kind of help her. And her legal counsel was even there to when the direct when the detective would ask her a question and she'd get off the path a little bit, her legal counsel would step right in, answer the question, answer the question, kind of get her right back on track to make sure that everything was going fine. And to me, if I'm the second thing I think about is I put myself into the shoes of a GM, into a coach into somebody in the war room when it comes draft time. And the thing I think about is after watching this, because if you are a team that has Joe Mixon on your board who is or is thinking about taking this guy, I would watch this video just to have it in here, just to use it as what can we take away from it. And the thing I would take away, especially if I was a coach, Not only did the action happen, but it's also one of those things, the conversation that was said in front of the store with everything that's going on in our world today, everything that has gone on in the NFL with everything that started with the, I'm going to go back to with, for the NFL with Michael Sam and kind of starting that progressive, progressive um, movement with him being the first openly gay player to be drafted into the NFL, I would be a coach that I would say, I don't want him on my team. I do not want him in my locker room because I do not want him, if it's him or if it's, I don't want him being influenced by the wrong people and I don't want him accidentally saying something like that and causing bad blood in my locker room. That's what I would immediately think of is I don't want any bad blood in my locker room. I want my guys united because I'm going to need them united if we're going to win a Super Bowl. So really quickly to go back to um, a a little bit of of what had happened Mm -hmm. in the interview and everything like that. So in the ESPN article, it says... After her account of the incident, Freudiger, so that's that's uh, the detective on, mm-hmm. on the case and the Norman uh, police detective, told Molitor that her version was in, quote, direct conflict with 10 or 12 written statements that I have about what happened, end quote. Quote, I can tell you six people out on that sidewalk at least want me to believe that this all started over cigarette smoke, quote, end quote, he said, and quote, that... They were perfect angels about it and very politely tried to correct the situation where they were around some secondhand smoke and none of this other stuff, end quote. Freudiger, however, said that in his opinion, Molitor's, quote, explanation of what happened seemed much more reasonable, end quote. And that's the now, thing can that I, I took first away say, from it. Can I first say, it doesn't necessarily matter that it's his opinion mm-hmm. that it seems more reasonable. I mean, you know, in my opinion, it seems reasonable that the Atlanta Falcons should have won Super Bowl 51. Okay. Seems reasonable. They didn't they did not win the game. Mm-hmm. They did not win the game because it was outlandish that the Patriots came back. But what I'm it's probably a bad example, but it's the mm-hmm. one that I'm trying to give right now. What seems reasonable isn't always what actually happens. And that's what you have to well, be able to he, say. And that's one and, of the and things that's, that popped into my and head. That's a, and that's, a, a, again, a, another human being mm-hmm. who, you know, they also, it, it's easy for human beings who have feelings to get emotionally attached to it, to see, you know, maybe Officer Freudiger has a daughter. Maybe he sees his daughter, mm-hmm. you know, in, in her. And, you know, he, you know, that makes sense. Like, you want to kind of protect them and stick up for them. However, however, I, I think that, you know, certainly one thing you cannot forget is that, you know, she may not have been completely in the, she may have not completely been in the clear. You know, if she did indeed say something and say a racial slur, which, quote, almost everyone says that you did not use a racial slur, end quote. She says that she would never. She mm-hmm. said that where she's from, 
there were a lot of black people, and she would never do that. That, however, that's part of the interview. That, to me, is like a cop out. Oh, my president's black, so I can say it. You know, well, that's kind of like one of those. It's, al- but, but, it's but always Ricky, like Ricky, the stand-up Ricky, comedian Ricky. does that. With the oh, it's fine. I got a, I got a black friend, kind of. A yeah, thing. I know. It's it's yeah. like one of those things. So you, so you can't really use that. It doesn't yeah. matter in the heat of things. You're inebriated. They're mm-hmm. probably inebriated. You you say things sometimes that you t- want to take back. Mm-hmm. You say things that you want to take back. And could that have been one of those times? Maybe, but it did seem like she was provoked. These guys did just. It doesn't well, sound like they were just stand that, that she she and her friends, Milder and her friends, were just standing on the corner. You know, trying to smoke into these guys' faces. It sounds like they they wanted to stick to themselves, and Joe Mixon and his group of guys went out of their way Hot to blind. try and provoke these this group of people mm-hmm. with a with yep this girl and cat calls and all this stuff, and and, and then it ended ugly. Well, and to me, and this is what I kind of want to reel the conversation back into, is put yourself in the mind of an NFL executive or, you know, whatever you think of, head coach, GM, owner, somebody that's going to be in that war room for all three days of the draft. Because let's be honest, Joe Mixon is not going to hear his name called night one of the draft. We can be certain of that. If this incident isn't enough, I don't care how good he is. He's not a first-round talent, let's be honest. But if he wants to hear his name called in day two, day three, put yourself into the mind of whatever you want in that war room. Answer this question to yourself. Would you draft Joe Mixon? And to me, I would say no. And it has, to me at this point, has nothing to do with the actual act of what happened. When we first talked about this, it was all about the act of him actually hitting her. Yes, that's important, but now with this details, to me, I'm looking at it and going, okay, let's analyze this new shit that we got. Let's look at this. If any of this, like, if this is how he's going to conduct himself around his friends, and I know that people are going to say, but he was a stupid kid, and you learn from your mistakes. Brandon, it goes back to what you asked me before the podcast when we talked about this. He, You asked me... Have you ever said that? No. Have you done stupid things? Yes. Have you done something that stupid? No. It's one of those things where it it comes down to character. It comes down to judgment. It comes down to who are you going to surround yourself with. And in the NFL, that is the biggest key ever. It doesn't matter who you are. If you are the star quarterback or you are the fifth special teamer just clinging on to a roster spot, you have to surround yourself with the right people. Because once you get to the NFL, once you get that NFL paycheck, people are going to want to hang out with you just because you have that status symbol, no, no matter who you are on the team. And like I said, I made my opinion, is if I was a coach, because that's who I put myself into, the mind of a coach, I would pass on Joe Mixon completely. Too much. It's too much trouble for what he's worth kind of a thing. I'll go find another running back, especially where he's going to be drafted. I know that people keep throwing out, well, he's a second-round talent. I see him at third round at best, maybe probably even fourth, fifth. Let's be honest with ourselves. And if I'm looking for a running back in the fourth and fifth round and he's got this much baggage, fuck it. I don't need it. I'll find a different running back kind of a thing. You know what running back I would look at? That guy out of San Diego State. That's the guy I'd look at. People are going to pass on him because he's shorter than everyone else. Guess what? Drew Brees and Russell Wilson are also short. That guy doesn't have character issues. I will take Pumphrey over Mixon in the late rounds. And that's kind of my whole thought of it is I think this is detrimental to him. Detrimental because it just stacks on to... Him not getting invited to the combine. We haven't even mentioned that. I'm looking at a— We did. I, well, we, we did mention it, it, but we didn't dive into it is what I'm saying is there's a pro football talk article that I'm looking at, and they even mentioned the NFL is making it harder for college players who have been involved in violent incidents off the field to make it up professionally. Like, 
this Joe Mixon and um, Ishmael um, Zamora from, I want to say it's Baylor. It is Baylor. For those two people, the NFL is basically saying, we're not helping you. We are not going to help you. You made a mistake. You can you can come out and help it. We're not going to give you a platform to try to help yourselves because the NFL, and this goes to the combine part of it, the NFL is a brand. They don't want anybody to come in and bring down their brand, put a bad face on their brand, no matter who you are. If you're Tom Brady or you're the last player picked in the 2016 NFL draft. Well, Ricky, I think that the the main thing is it's it the NFL has make, made a very clear statement here with not inviting him because it's not just that he did something wrong. If you know if, if the guy just did something wrong, you know, he's still probably going to come, mm-hmm. but you know, it, this is clearly egregious in the mind of the NFL because otherwise he'd be going. He would be going. To the NFL Combine. He is not. Joe Mixon is a second or third round talent. He will not be taken there because of this. I think that if I'm if I'm an executive. Okay. Let me make another reference here. Draft day. Mm-hmm. Seen movie. the movie? Good movie. How many people went to that birthday party? Is that what you're going to say? They were talking about his birthday. How many people went to it, Brandon? Did anyone go to the birthday party? And who went to the birthday party? We're on the same. We're on the same wavelength. And I think that that's. I think ultimately it comes down to. Do people want to hang out with you? Are. What 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 I'm trying to say ultimately is it's it's not do people want to hang out with you? Are you hanging out with the right people? Mm-hmm. Do people want to hang out with you because you are a good person mm-hmm. and you exhibit good character? And I think Bingo. that if and if you do not, that is a problem. And I think going forward, look at Johnny Manziel. Johnny Manziel, we knew in college, we knew he liked that fun. We knew he liked to party. We saw pictures, but I don't think anyone knew quite how bad it was, quite how much of a problem it was. Once and I that spotlights on you, even in Cleveland, it's bright. And and I don't think and it's tough to be bright in Cleveland. I I, I, I think that. <laughs> I don't even think that he knew how bad it was going to mm-hmm. be or how big of a problem that he had because he certainly has a problem. Mm-hmm. I think I really do think he's trying to fight really fight it, but I think that for for Joe Mixon th- there's a lot of things that he needs to do right now to try and prove that he is a good guy. And I and I said it earlier and I wasn't kidding. You have to go out into the community and show guess what? I want to help people, not hurt them. I want to build people up, not tear them down. I respect women. I respect men. I respect gays. I respect people of all minority groups. Mm-hmm. Because, and I say gays because that was the situation he was involved in. Yeah. Well, call I, on the guy. I, I think that uh, ultimately he really needs to do a lot of good things. And hopefully some of them can be in the spotlight mm-hmm. so that people will see. And hopefully he does, doesn't do it for show. But Joe Mixon has got to work his way back, and if he doesn't, then he clearly doesn't want it. Well, and the last thing I want to bring up on my end, and then I'll throw it to you for any last thoughts that you have on it, is the stance by the NFL to say you two aren't invited. Basically, the whole teacher thing of, you know what, if you guys can't behave yourselves, you guys don't get to uh, have snack time with the other kids. That's me bringing it way down to a basic level. But Ricky wants snack time. The thing I love about it is it's the NFL taking the stand where, in my mind, it tells college athletes now getting to the NFL is a privilege, not a right. Just because you are good at something and you are very talented on the field does not mean you are automatically going to be able to play in the NFL. You have to earn it. It is a privilege, not a right. And maybe with the NFL now doing this, Maybe it will have a ripple effect for students who are now in college to say, you know what, let me think about things a little bit when I'm in the moment. Let me think about who I'm hanging out with, because if I want to get to the NFL, I have to make sure I don't get into any situations that may affect it. So that's what I think with this whole not inviting Joe Mixon to the Combine what kind of a ripple effect is that going to have on other college athletes 
who want to get to the NFL. And like I said, basically saying it's a privilege, not a right to play in the NFL. Before we get to your final thoughts, before we um, close out the podcast, anything with the Joe Mixon that you want to mention? You know, I just I just hope for for him and not even just his his NFL career, as I just hope for himself that uh, everything turns out okay with him, that he's able to kind of move past this, um, but but not for not necessarily forget it, because I, I hope that this is something that helps him to strive to be a better person than each and every day, um, because uh, I think we all have kind of that one thing in our life that we look at and we go, you know what, I. I want to be a better person, and it's because of this. It's this thing that happened in my life or these multiple instances because no one's perfect. We all make mistakes, that's mm-hmm. for sure. Um, but I think that uh, you know, all of them, we can always try and move forward, and we have to. Well, and Brandon, this is the part of the podcast where I turn it over to you for the Primetime Podcast this week. What are Swanee's final thoughts? Uh, final thoughts have absolutely nothing to do with sports, but uh, That's folks, good. I don't know if you watched the Grammys or not. I did. I didn't. I did. Absolutely loved them. Adele, she did a clean sweep at the Grammys. An awesome person, absolutely awesome person, gave so many props to Beyonce, which I absolutely loved. I thought that was incredible. A lot of people thought Beyonce was snubbed um, for for album of the year. I believe it was album of the year that they thought that she was snubbed for. And what I have to say to that is, you know what? It's unfortunate. People do get snubbed, though. Teams get snubbed in college football every year. Teams get snubbed in college basketball every year. You come back stronger. Beyonce will come back stronger. It was an absolutely... Uh, fun Grammys to watch. Interesting, for sure. Very interesting. But uh, props to Adele for just sweeping them away. She got five Grammys. Probably almost everyone watching this is probably like, Brandon, what the hell are you talking about? We do sports here. But uh, hey, seriously. Hey, now we don't. We got the Ricky Johnny podcast now. Adele, outstanding job. Check out her music. Hello, song of the year. Yeah, and we, we do everything now. If you haven't checked out the Rick and Johnny podcast, this is my shameless plug. Go ahead, check it out. New podcast here on MVP. But I want to thank you guys for checking out the Primetime Podcast today. Let us know what you think down below in the comment section. Also on Twitter, I'm at Ricky Widmer. Brandon is at Young underscore Swan 19. Most Valuable Podcast is at Most Valuable Pod. Also, if you like what we're doing here and you want to help us out a little bit more other than hitting the like button, hitting the subscribe button, go ahead and check us out on Patreon, patreon.com backslash Most Valuable Podcast. Thank you. For all the patrons who support us on Patreon each and every month. I want to thank you guys, though, for watching and listening. And as always, have a good day, everybody. Thank you for listening to this MVP podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Most Valuable Pod for more great podcasts.